Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in a few passages of Scripture this morning, but we're actually going to be looking together beginning in Colossians chapter 2. When I served as a youth pastor many years ago, I met with a group of high school students, high school boys, for about two years. And we would meet every week, and we would do Bible study, and we would do scripture memory, and we would talk about theology, and we'd talk about dating and girls, and then we'd go out and play basketball. And we did this for about two years. And during the same time, my wife Dawn also met with the high school girls weekly as well. And I can say to this day, all five of those young men are walking with the Lord. One is a worship pastor in Louisiana. Another is a college pastor in Colorado Springs. Another is a strong believer in Texas. Two of the guys that I'm the closest with that I still visit and talk with today, one is a Ph.D. student at Southern Seminary getting his degree, and another is a godly husband and is involved in his local church with his wife and family in Colorado Springs. And whenever I chat with these men and and catch up with these men, they remind me of how much it meant to them to meet every week for what we would call guys' discipleship time. And most Christians, I believe, have yet to experience this level of investment and accountability with other believers. And I cannot stress how important this type of smaller group of accountability and investment and growth is vital to your spiritual life and in your serving Christ. And so over the past few weeks, we have introduced to you, we've explained, we've unveiled the discipleship pathway. And you will see that in your bulletin. We've had it the past two weeks. You will see it on signage out in the hallway. And so as your leaders of Emmanuel, we have been praying about this for months and we're, we're un, unveiling it to you over these weeks and we're wanting you to grow and to mature in Christ. And so this pathway is a biblical model that helps us to grow and take our next step in our spiritual growth. And so what the discipleship pathway does is it gives us a clear roadmap. It helps you know with clarity where you are on the pathway. And so one of the things we're going to be asking you is, where are you right now on the pathway? And what next step do you need to take in your spiritual growth? This involves everybody connected to Emmanuel. And so the first Sunday, we focused on worship biblically. We want to be a church that worships biblically. And what we said is that God cares how we worship. It's not just a free-for-all where we can do whatever we want. We come each Sunday and we sing God's Word, we preach God's Word, we pray God's Word, we read God's Word. We're all about worshiping biblically. And the question we ask is, are you making Sunday worship 
the highest priority in your life, to worship regularly with other believers. As Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 24-25, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So number one, we want to worship biblically. And then the next step on the pathway is connect relationally. Connect relationally. And Pastor Dustin did a great job last week explaining how we can serve one another in smaller groups. How you can be vitally connected in a growth group, a small group where you can know other people, you can have feedback, you can pray, you can invest in each other's lives, you can be in a smaller group. And so the question we have to ask is if you're not connecting relationally right now in a growth group, then would you pray about connecting relationally in one of our growth groups? It's a smaller group of about 10 to 20 people that meet for Bible study, for fellowship, for growth for life connection. And, and Pastor Dustin preached last week from Acts chapter 2. And we won't look at that as much today as we will next week, but Acts 2, 46-47, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They met in the temple They met in a large group. They worshiped biblically together in the large group setting. But then it said they met in homes. They met in a smaller groups. They they met smaller to connect relationally to one another, breaking bread in their homes in smaller groups. So this morning we get to the third aspect of the discipleship pathway. Number one, worship biblically. Number two, connect relationally. Today, number three, Grow intentionally. Grow intentionally. Colossians 1, 28-29. Him we proclaim, this is Jesus, we proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal, to present everyone mature in Christ. Are you maturing in Christ? And Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Are you maturing in Christ? And then 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Are you growing in Christ? Are you growing and maturing in Christ? And so for this morning, I want to set forth a biblical rationale, a a biblical case for what it means to grow intentionally. Remember, the ultimate mission of Emmanuel Baptist Church is to make disciples. Disciples who are growing. Disciples who are maturing. Disciples who are connecting. Disciples who are are worshiping biblically. And so today, what does it mean to grow intentionally? So we're going to talk first about the foundation. What is the foundation for growing intentionally? Before I explain what it means, let's look at the foundation. And so if you've got your Bible, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses in Colossians chapter 2. Verses, actually three verses, verses 6 through 8. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Paul the Apostle writes this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted 
and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul gives some metaphors, images, of what it means to fully understand having fellowship with Jesus. Paul could have just said, hey, you need to grow in Christ, and that would be good, but he knows that we're visual learners, and so he gives us these visual metaphors. And here's the first. The first is an agricultural metaphor. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted. There in verse 7, rooted. Original language really says deeply rooted. Are you deeply rooted? Are you planted in Christ? You're not just casually connected to Jesus, but you've been planted deep in Him, and you've got those deep roots in Christ. And as we read earlier during our time of confession, Psalm 1 talks about this deep, deeply rooted in Christ. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted, rooted, deep, deep, deep roots by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. Are you deeply rooted in Christ? Are you well planted? That's the first metaphor, an agricultural metaphor. The second, he uses an architectural metaphor. He says you've been built up in Christ. Not only are you rooted deeply with deep roots, but you're built up like a, like a building with a strong foundation that goes up, that you're built up. What are you building your life upon? Is your life built upon Jesus and His gospel and His word, or is your life built upon something else? Everything else is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Is your life built upon the foundation, the rock of Christ. If not, it will crumble. So an agricultural metaphor, are you planted deeply? An architectural metaphor, are you built? And then third, he uses a business analogy or a business metaphor. He says we've been established in the faith. That word established was used of a legal guarantee, like a title deed. When there was a property transfer or a transfer of property, it shows that something had been bought. And what this means is, is that Jesus has bought you, and you belong to Jesus. There's been a title deed transfer. You've gone from your old life to a new life, and now Jesus owns you because he's bought you. Now, how has Jesus bought you? Jesus has bought you with his blood. Christ has died on the cross, shedding his blood as we've been singing about this morning. He cried out, it is finished. He died on that cross. He forgave us of our sins. And what he was doing on that cross was he was buying us. He was purchasing us. He was calling us to himself so that we would be his blood-bought people. And so you can't even begin to grow intentionally unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Savior. And so before we go any further this 
this morning, if you're here today and you have not repented of your sins and trusted in this Jesus who died on the cross and rose again, you need to repent of those sins and trust in Christ alone and receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then you can grow intentionally, but you need to be bought by Jesus. So have you been bought by the blood of Christ? So are you rooted? Are you established? Are you firmly planted? Do you have a foundation? But notice what else Paul says there at the end of verse 7. As you were taught. Someone had to teach you these things. You had to be taught. You had to taught what it means to be established. You had to be taught the gospel. You had to be taught and be grounded in the Bible. So here's the question you've got to ask yourself before we go any further. Are you, number one, blood-bought by Jesus? Have you trusted Christ for salvation? That's the most important. And if you have, are you rooted? Are you established? Are you grounded? Are you, are you on that foundation? Are you deeply connected to Jesus Christ? Are you growing as you have been taught? Are you being fully connected to Christ in this growing relationship? That's the first, the foundation. Okay, let's look at, secondly this morning, the need. The need for growing intentionally. There's a foundation. The foundation is Jesus. The foundation is a personal relationship with Christ. The foundation is being rooted and planted in Him. But what's the need? What do you need to do? What, what is the need of every single person that calls upon the name of Christ? What do we need? Well, first, and we're going to call ourselves disciples. If you, are, if you have trusted Christ for salvation, you are a disciple. You're not waiting to be a disciple someday. You are a disciple. Every believer is a disciple. Now, there were the 12 apostles, but every person that's trusted Christ for salvation, you are now a disciple, which simply means you're a learner. You're learning more about Jesus. So first, a disciple, and that's you, should grow deeper in biblical knowledge. You need biblical knowledge. Now, that happens through worshiping biblically. When you worship biblically and you sit under sound teaching, you are gaining biblical knowledge to be able to grow. And also, when you're connected to a growth group that teaches the Bible, which our growth groups do, you are gaining biblical knowledge. And you need that type of knowledge. But unless you devote yourself to some intentional Scripture saturation where others in a group hold you accountable and encourage you, you will not grow intentionally the way that God has designed for you to grow. So let me ask you a few questions this morning to evaluate yourself on this issue of biblical knowledge. Now, please don't raise your hand. I'm asking you to look in your heart and evaluate yourself this morning. So let me just ask you a couple of questions. How well can you articulate and defend the Christian faith? How well can you give a defense for the basics of Christianity if somebody were to ask you? How well are you doing at memorizing Scripture? What does your personal Bible study look like? How equipped do you think you are in evangelism, sharing your faith? Do you know what your spiritual gift is and are you using it for the glory of God? Are you involved in an intentional, consistent process to help you grow in these areas, or is it hit or miss? Do you want to grow intentionally and be better equipped? Do you have the biblical knowledge that you need to be 
equipped to live in this world for Christ. Now Jesus said in John 8, 31-32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you intentionally, consistently abiding in Christ's word so as to be a disciple whom has been set free by that truth? Is God's truth taking root in your life? Are you growing in Bible knowledge? But that's not enough. I'm afraid we have a lot of people that have Bible knowledge. Here's the second thing a disciple should be doing. Second, a disciple should grow deeper in active obedience. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing to obey what it says. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Now, oftentimes we, we pass over this. Sometimes we don't even quote the Great Commission correctly. Let's, let's read it. Matthew 28, 19-20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does Jesus say? He doesn't just say teaching. Teaching them to what? Observe or obey all that I have commanded. So part of growing intentionally is not just teaching for teaching's sake. It's not just Bible knowledge, which is very, very important. It is teaching in such a way that your life is transformed into active obedience. You are learning in your mind, but then you're living it out with your life. You are obeying. So the goal of learning is not just to fill your head with Bible knowledge, but it's to translate into active obedience where you're living out your faith actively in obedience to Jesus. What does James say in James 1.22? But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We get a lot of hearers of the word, don't we? Not a lot of doers of the word. The most accurate test of whether you love Jesus is not what we say or how we feel, but how we obey. What did Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. I'm afraid many in our churches have their heads filled with biblical knowledge, but they rarely put that into practice with active obedience. We have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. I'm sure a lot of you could win a Bible trivia bowl, but that's not the goal. We have a lot of people that have heads full of knowledge, but their lives don't show any difference. And so what it means to be a true disciple of Christ is that, yes, you have biblical knowledge, but that has to translate into obeying all that Jesus commanded living a life of active obedience. And ultimately, it means this, third. So you want to have biblical knowledge and you want to have active obedience, but ultimately, third, a disciple should be equipped to be more like Jesus. There's a very interesting thing Jesus tells in a parable, a really short parable in Luke. In Luke chapter 9, 39 through 40, Jesus says this. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both and fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. When you're fully trained, you will be like your teacher. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? He says, disciples, right now it's like a blind man leading the blind. You don't know a lot. But when you're fully trained, you'll be like me. 
And I've said this many times. Here's the most important thing. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon today, here it is. The more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. The more you look at Jesus, the more you will begin to look like Jesus. You will be fully trained to be like your master. Now here's what happened back in the ancient Near East with these rabbis. So these rabbis, they wouldn't go pick their disciples. The disciples had to come and kind of interview with the rabbi. And the rabbi would pick and choose which ones would be worthy enough to come live with the rabbi. And so they would eat, they would drink with the rabbi, they would spend time with the rabbi. They wouldn't really go to college, but they would, they would live life with the rabbi and kind of imitate the rabbi. And that's exactly what Jesus does, but he does it opposite. He doesn't, like, wait for these guys to come to be good enough to follow him. He goes and picks those and says, come follow me. So he chooses these disciples to come live with him, to come do life with him, to come be like him, to be with him, to live with him. And Jesus says, when you're fully trained, when I have fully trained you, disciples, after living with me, after being with me, then you will be like me. You will be like your master. And that word fully trained in the original language means to be strengthened, established, mature, or complete. The words we've been looking at. It means to be mature, to be complete, to be equipped. Now, where else do we see this same Greek word that, Jesus, that Luke uses that he's quoting Jesus here, fully trained? Where else do we see this word? Well, we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13, when Paul talks about the role of the leaders of the church. So Paul says this in, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip. Same Greek word. Fully trained in Luke, equip here in Ephesians, the same Greek word. Our job as your pastors is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To equip. We need to be equipped, trained, matured to what? To be like Jesus, to be like our master. Jesus says when you're fully equipped, you will be like your teacher. You will be like your master. And what does God's Word do in that process? We see the Word again. God's Word is instrumental in this. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete in what? Equipped. Same Greek word for every good work. We want to be equipped by the Bible we want to be equipped to be like Jesus. We want to be rooted and established and growing and equipped to be actively obeying our Savior. And so really, that's the goal of the discipleship pathway. That's the ultimate goal of the discipleship pathway, a culture here at Emmanuel where every single one of you that's connected with Emmanuel is equipped, is trained to be intentionally more and more like your Savior, Jesus to grow in biblical knowledge, to grow in active obedience, and to ultimately be more and more like Jesus. And notice what this text in Ephesians doesn't say. It doesn't say God gave the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists to do all the work of ministry. That's not what it says. To equip the saints for works of ministry. You and I need to be equipped. So we've seen the foundation for growing intentionally, to be rooted and planted in Christ. We've seen the need for it. You need biblical knowledge. You need to be actively obeying Christ, and you need to be more like Jesus. Now let's talk about the method. Okay, how does this happen? Okay, we know it needs to happen. 
So what's the method? How do we do this? Well, the best method to grow intentionally, I'm going to explain in just a moment, but I want to not get the cart before the horse. One thing that's vitally important as we go through this discipleship pathway is to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in this. The role of the Holy Spirit is vital in your spiritual growth because I can't produce growth in you. You can't produce growth in you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Now, Bill Hull has written a lot of great books on discipleship. And he gives excellent insight when he writes this. So Bill Hull says this, quote, Discipling is not an event. It's a process. No system can make a disciple because discipleship requires that a person's will be activated by the Holy Spirit. The church has the responsibility to provide the clear vision and the vehicles that bring Christians into mature discipleship. That's very important. Only the Holy Spirit is going to grow you. A discipleship pathway is not going to grow you. It's a vehicle. It's a vision. It's a vehicle. It's a method that the church is bringing forward. But the Holy Spirit is ultimately the one that's going to have to work in you to create that growth. So just because we're adopting a discipleship pathway doesn't mean that just because we do this, it's going to be automatic. We must trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the growth. Because here's what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 12-13. He says, Therefore, my beloved As you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, grow. Work out your salvation. Be diligent in pursuing the means of grace. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in you. God brings the maturity. So at the end of the day, if there's any growth, if there's any fruit, if there's any transformation, it's not because you're so good at it. It's because the Holy Spirit has done it in you. However, the church has the responsibility to provide a pathway, a vehicle, a method for this to happen. It won't happen automatically without some intentional processes in place. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. So how are you transformed to look more like Jesus? It comes from the Holy Spirit. You can't leave the Holy Spirit out of this. So with that being said, what is the vehicle that the church is responsible for putting before you to grow intentionally? What what is this plan? Well, we're calling it a gender-specific D-group. You found it on the web. Well, thank you, Siri, for letting me know. I shouldn't talk to my watch while she's up here. Sorry about that. A D group of three to five people. Now, why is it called a D group? It's just short for discipleship group. A D group. So we have two groups now. Two things in a manual with the name such and such group. Okay, we have growth groups. And now we have D groups, two groups. Now, how are they different? What's the difference between a growth group and a D group? Okay, Pastor Dustin explained growth groups last week. A growth group is a mixed gender group of about 12 to 20. It's a larger group, mixed gender It's to connect relationally. It's an open group. It's where everybody's invited. There's not this high, high level of accountability, but it's more of a Bible study that the goal is to connect relationally and to be involved in Bible study and a little bit larger of like 12 to 18 to 20. Mixed gender. Now, what's a D group? A D group is gender specific. Men with men, 
women with women, and it's smaller, about three to five people, give or take, in a group. Now, you say, why is it gender-specific with three to five people? Why not do one-on-one discipleship? Why not just have groups of one-on-one discipleship? Why discipleship groups of three to five people? Wouldn't it be better to have one-on-one discipleship? Well, let me give you something that maybe you've never heard before. The model of Jesus. Okay, we're going to look at the model of Jesus. Now, this may challenge your thinking. This may surprise you. I challenge you to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and find Jesus doing one-on-one discipleship. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have one-on-one conversations. He met with the woman at the well. He met with Nicodemus, but you never see Jesus doing one-on-one discipleship in an ongoing way, one-to-one. Now, there were times when Jesus preached to the crowds from the boat, Sermon on the Mount. There are times when he gathered 70 and he sent them out to do evangelism in the villages. There's times where he gathered the 12 together and he did training with the 12. But do you realize that there was an inner circle of three men that Jesus poured most of his time with? Jesus had a D group, a gender-specific D group. (laughs) You know who those three men were? Peter, James, and John. In other words, Jesus modeled for us this model of taking a smaller group of gender-specific for more intentional, accountable, higher-level discipleship. Now, you say, well, where do you see that, Pastor Sean? Well, let's take a journey through Mark's gospel, and I want to show you how Jesus took aside these three into his inner circle for more instruction and investment. So get your Bibles open to Mark and turn to Mark chapter 1. And and we're going to be flipping pages this morning as opposed to having them up on the screen because I want you just to, it's fun to travel through Mark. Some of you have digital Bibles, it's easier. Some of us have, dare I say, real Bibles where we can turn pages. No, I'm I'm just joking. However you get to God's Word, I don't care. As long as it's in front of you. So this is Peter's mother-in-law, the healing of Peter's mother. So let's go to Mark 129. Mark 129. I'll wait for you guys all to get there because you're moving from Colossians to Mark. Mark 129. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. He's got James and John, and then there he has Simon and Andrew. So he, he, he enters to do this ministry, but only brings three of the disciples with him. Now, it was Peter's mother-in-law, so Peter obviously is there, but he brings James and John along. The the, the rest of the 12 aren't allowed to come in. Okay, what about the healing of Jairus' daughter? Go to to Mark 5.37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they go in to heal Jairus' daughter for this intimate healing, and he only brings those three guys with him. The rest of the 12 didn't get to be in in part of this this healing. Okay, what about the Mount of Transfiguration? Mark 9-2. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Are all the 12 apostles up there on the Mount of Transfiguration? No, in Mark 9-2, after six days, Jesus took up with him Peter, James, and John and led them up the high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Only Jesus took up those three men to the Mount of Transfiguration. The other 12 did not have that privilege. Okay, what about the Mount of Olives where Jesus is giving teaching on the end times? Go to Mark 13.3. In Mark 
As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, and he explained it. This was a private teaching with just those three or four guys. Okay, what about the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus is praying and he's sweating drops of blood right before the crucifixion. Go to Mark 14, 33. Mark 14, 33. Actually, let's go to verse 32 first before that. Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Do you see it? There are times where Jesus took these three men into a more intimate, more accountable, smaller group for more intense training at very specific events, the Mount of Transfiguration, specific healings, and even in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus never did one-on-one discipleship. He did more one-on-three or one-on-four. He had a small group, a D group, if you will. Now, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him. Who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up? Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cold cord is not quickly broken. Two's good. Three's better. A group of three. So Jesus takes these three men. Now, Paul also encourages older women to invest in younger women and older men to invest in and younger men, gender-specific. Titus 2, 1 through 6. But as for you, Titus, he's, t- he's preaching to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and steadfast. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, I urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, many of you are already involved in a growth group. That's wonderful. You've taken the step, okay, some of you are like, I'm still just worshiping biblically. The worship service is all I'm a part of. Some of you said, you know what, I've taken the next step on the pathway. I'm part of a growth group. I'm connecting relationally. Some of you may be called or desire to take a next step and be involved in deeper accountability, higher structure, and be involved in a gender-specific D group where you commit to maybe six to nine months to be with another group of people to be in an intentional process of growing to be more like Christ. Remember, your growth is not going to just be haphazard. It's not going to happen randomly. It'll be sporadic. It'll be haphazard. It has to be intentional. So what are the benefits of being part of a D group? Like, I've never heard of a D group. I've never been in something like this. I know what a Sunday school class is. I kind of know what a small group is. But this whole D group concept, I don't know what it is. Well, let me explain to you the benefits of growing intentionally in a D group. Why why would you want to do it? Okay, Let me give you a couple of benefits. First, you avoid the group becoming a one-on-one counseling session. Okay, from experience, a lot of experience, when I've done one-on-one discipleship, 
oftentimes it turns into a counseling session. We never get around to scripture memory. We never get around. It's mainly somebody pouring their heart out to me and I being there as a pastoral counselor. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a counseling session. There's nothing wrong with that. That is a counseling session, but that's not a, a discipleship session. Without intentional scripture memory and growth and, 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 and accountability, it just becomes more of a counseling session. And so if I just did one-on-one or you did one-on-one, oftentimes it devolves into mainly just talking about our problems. It never gets into maybe more intentional discipleship. And there's nothing wrong with you meeting one-on-one to do that. It's just that's not necessarily, necessarily discipleship. Number two, your meetings aren't intimidating. Now, when it's one-on-one, there's the mentor and the mentee. And the mentor has all the knowledge that's dispensing to the mentee. And the mentee's like, I have no idea. I don't even know where to begin. And I feel intimidated because this person knows so much. And it puts a lot of pressure on the other person who knows so much to dispense to this one person. So you have a person that may be like, I don't know that much to share with this person. And this person's like, I don't know that much to share with this person. And so both of them are uncomfortable because you've got this mentor-to-mentee relationship that's kind of awkward with one-on-one. It can be a little intimidating. So, third, you have built-in accountability. Here's why it's built-in accountability. When you have a D group of three other guys showing up and they're all doing the work, they've done their scripture memory. They've read the passage for that week. They may have journaled in their, in their journal and they're ready to come and discuss. If you're not ready, what happens? The two other guys are ready and you're not. Now, I can say that puts pressure on you, maybe, or maybe it's built in accountability to say, you know what, I'm going to have a desire to grow if I know the other guys coming in the group are going to be ready so that we're all kind of coming into this together. There's built in accountability when you have, when it's one-on-one, you can come in like, I didn't read the stuff this week, Pastor Sean. Well, I could berate you and say, well, why didn't you do that? Or I could become a counseling session. <laughs> or if three guys come in or four guys come in and they're all ready to go, there's built-in accountability. You're all moving in the same direction. And fourth, it can re- reproduce more easily. You can re- reproduce these. I can reproduce these. So, for example, if, if I spend one hour a week discipling four guys, that's four hours out of my time. If I met one and a half hour a week with four guys, it maximizes my time and their time, and it's more easily reproducible. Because what I'm doing is I'm training those guys to eventually lead their own group. And they can know what it's like to take three guys. So it can reproduce more easily. And then finally, you grow as a group. You see, the beauty to a D group is it relates back to a connecting relationally. You can't help but grow in deeper relationships with other people when you are intensely studying the Word and being in stronger accountability and meeting weekly. It builds those deep friendships. You grow together in your faith. You're not only connecting relationally, but you're also growing intentionally. So I want you to think about the process so far, the pathway, the discipleship pathway, and how everything works together. So let's go back to the beginning. When you worship biblically, you are gaining biblical knowledge. Being in a worship service like this, you are growing, you are maturing, because you're part of a a corporate worship service. But take it a next step further. Secondly, if you're involved in a growth group, now you're, you're really growing because you're not only just in a worship service, but you're connecting relationally with other people in a small group where you can pray for each other and you can talk and and develop relationships and discuss the Bible and be in, in a situation where you're loved and you're cared for in a growth group. And to take it third, take it to a D group 
Okay, now not only are you worshiping biblically and you're connecting relationally, but now you're growing intentionally in this D group where now you're equipped, now you're accountable, now you're being encouraged in this smaller group. So let me ask you a question. What do you think will be the result if a person or people go through actively all three of those processes? What will the end result be? What do you think it will be? I can tell you three things that will come from that. It will develop more leaders serving in ministry. It will develop more people using their spiritual gifts. And it will develop people equipped to go share the gospel. Serving, sharing, leadership. And that leads to what we're going to talk about next week. It'll have more people serving generously. You have to wait to come back next week to find out what that means. When you are going through the process of the pathway, when you're worshiping biblically, when you're connecting relationally, and when you're growing intentionally, we have a church full of people that begin to serve generously because they've been equipped, they've been encouraged, they've been challenged, and now they're serving, now they're sharing, now they're getting involved. So here's the ultimate question. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Remember what Jesus says? When you're fully trained, you'll be like your master. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be like your master? And if the answer is yes, then the question is, okay, then I need to be fully trained. I need to be fully trained. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do you become more like Jesus? You fix your eyes on Jesus. And notice what that passage, leave that scripture up there just for a moment. He's the founder and perfecter of your faith. Did you know that? Who started your faith? Jesus. Who's going to finish your faith? Jesus. Are you going to finish your faith? I don't have the strength to do that. No. Did I have the strength to start it? No. Do I have the strength to finish it? No. Jesus started it, and he will finish it. And here's the beauty of the discipleship pathway. It's a process. And Jesus guarantees he's going to get you to the end. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus will start what he began in you, and he'll bring it to completion. So I'll ask you again, where are you right now on the discipleship pathway? That's only a question you can answer. And then pray about what's the next step I need to take to grow in my faith. So all we're doing at this time is asking you to pray to be open to it, to pray about it. And as we do that, I just want us to be thankful. Let's be thankful that Jesus is our ultimate equipper. Jesus is our ultimate teacher. And if he started a good work in you at salvation, he's going to carry it on to completion. God's got a plan for you. That, that's what makes me so excited about this pathway is that God has a specific plan for each of you to grow to be more like him. And if he started it, he promises to finish it. But part of the responsibility is you've got to play a little part in that. You've got to take the step. You've got to make the commitment. Now, again, the Holy Spirit's going to do the growth, but what Jesus started, he promises to complete. And here's what I would love to see. I would love to see every single one of you growing in this pathway so that as your pastor, I can look back and say, wow, everyone in this church is becoming mature in Christ. Everyone in the church is growing. Everyone in this church is starting to look more and more like Jesus. 
We've been fully trained, and we all look more and more like Jesus because we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. He started our faith. He promises to finish his faith, our faith, and what he started, he'll complete. So I want you to think about this plan that God has for you in your spiritual growth. And would you commit to grow intentionally with your eyes always fixed on who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorned the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So would you commit to grow intentionally for the glory of God? Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Every single one of us in this room knows that we could be growing more than we are right now. We all know that we're not as mature in the faith as we could be. And Lord, oftentimes we don't really know how to go about doing that. And Lord, I just pray that you would put a desire in all of us to be equipped, to want to be more like you, Jesus, to be fully equipped so we'll be looking more like you. Lord, I pray that we'd want to grow in biblical knowledge. I pray that we'd want to grow in active obedience. I pray that we'd want to be more intentional in our growing. And so, Lord, would you begin to open hearts and minds this morning so where people can just evaluate where they are in this growth process. And again, the discipleship pathway is just a process, Lord, and we know that. We know ultimately, Holy Spirit, you're the one that's going to cause the growth. And so, Holy Spirit, we trust you. Spirit of the living God, if, if you're not involved in this, then it's going to be a failure. So, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh upon us? Would you empower us? Would you equip us? Would you embolden us? Would you grow us? Would you put the fruit of the Spirit in us? Would you work in us to will and to act according to God's good pleasure? And Jesus, thank you that you started our faith and you promised to finish our faith. And what you started, you'll complete. And Lord, I'm so excited that you do have a plan for every single person here to grow. And Lord, it's just exciting to think that we can be moving closer to being more like you because you promised to finish our faith. So Lord, help us to just commit to whatever you have for us. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today, before they even thinking about growing intentionally, they would come to faith in Christ and they would repent and believe in you, Jesus, alone as their Lord and Savior. So we trust you, Lord Jesus. This, this is your church. You're the Lord of this church. You're sovereign over this church. You're sovereign over our lives. We trust you in this process to do what you will for your good purpose. We submit our lives to you as our sovereign Lord. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.